0: Shalom. Welcome to the Crimson Thread. I'm John Burns, pastor of Restoration Messianic Fellowship in the Boulder-Longmont area of northern Colorado. This teaching was recorded in a live Midrashic setting. We've edited it for clarity, but you may notice some jumps where we've taken out inaudible comments and sidetracks. Enjoy the study. All right, so we are still in Galatians. And we are ready to start chapter 3. For those of you who have, who are, we got a bunch of new folks tonight that just sort of bring you quickly up to speed. The reason I started Galatians is I'm reading a book right now, which is called The Theological Origins of Modernity. Modernity, which means the modern age. And one of the things that goes over in some detail is basically the... Luther's theology and the arguments between Luther and Erasmus and, and the, the philosophical things that led up to where Luther came from. And Luther did a lot of what he did based on a radical reading of Galatians. So I thought I'd go back through Galatians, mostly for my own edification, to see what Galatians actually says in the context of what Luther said it says. So we've gotten through the first two chapters and we're now on chapter 3 and one of the things that we've been struggling with is uh, works of the law and what works of the law are it's a it's a rabbinic term and has to do with doing things from the oral Torah and again for those that I don't I don't know where everybody is on this the, most of the folks that are in Shabbat know what the oral Torah is But basically, in Judaism, there are two Torahs. There's the written Torah, which was given at Sinai, and written down by Moses. First five books of the Bible. No controversy about that whatsoever. The rabbis have, over the centuries, made legal rulings based on the Torah, and those rulings have become, for the Jews, binding as scripture much the same way that we read letters that were written by Paul, and we see Paul as being divinely inspired and his words as being authoritative. Well, the rabbis say there's a whole lot more of those guys than just Paul, and we've been doing that for a long time. The problem comes not so much that the rabbis have developed interpretations of the Torah. We all do that, too. I mean, everybody, you know, as you read the Torah, your question comes up, well, how do I do this? What does that really mean in the context of my situation right now? And that's how it starts. So, for example, Moses would sit. Remember when he was in the camp of Israel? He would sit and people would come to him and ask him, how do we do this? And so, you know, his father-in-law says, you're going to burn yourself out there, boy, if you keep doing this. So he set up the, the 70 elders and delegated some of that down. So this idea of having to go to somebody to figure out what it really means is perfectly fine. There's no problem with that. The problem comes when the rabbis start doing things that are in fact not in accordance with the written Torah because they have stacked so many of these things on top of each other that they've sort of lost track of the the nugget underneath, if you understand what I'm saying. And Yeshua when he was alive, went at him head to head, and he said things like, you have made the word of God to no effect because of the traditions of men. He's talking about oral Torah there. So you've got, I mean, there are various technical terms for oral Torah and, and different sections of the oral Torah, if you will, but one of those is works of the law. I need to say one more thing before we start. The problem that is being dealt with here, the reason that the letter is being written, And I am a firm believer that Paul did not sit down to write a theological treatise in any of his letters. He has written letters to various groups to solve specific problems and to address specific issues. This particular letter is addressed to a group of churches that he founded in Galatia, which is Asia Minor. And what's happened is, since he has left, there has been a group from Jerusalem who were of the party of the circumcision, and we went through that. It's in Acts, chapter 15. They're the ones that basically kicked off the Council of Jerusalem when they said, in order to be saved, you must be circumcised. Same group of guys. And, of course, the Council of Jerusalem made a ruling on that. They established Halah. And these same folks are now following back after Paul through Galatia and saying... Yeah, it's great that you got the Holy Spirit, but you need to start doing this stuff before you're really there. So that's what Paul is writing in response to. So now, chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Yeshua Messiah was publicly portrayed as crucified. So what he's saying is, first off, somebody is coming in here and feeding you a load of stuff. And they are came from the home office, and since you guys don't know nothing anyway, somebody comes up from the home office and says, let me show you how to do it right. Your natural inclination is, oh, wow, they know more about this than I do. And so they have fooled the Galatians in Paul's perspective. And furthermore, he has said that how I presented the Messiah to you is as one crucified. Two, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So, again, what we understand is they, in fact, are full of the Holy Spirit. So they've got the Holy Spirit, and his question was, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You guys got the Holy Spirit while I was there, and I didn't talk about any of this stuff. So all this stuff that's being talked about, works of the law, etc., is something that has happened since I was there, And you guys had the Holy Spirit when I left. So you didn't get it from that. Verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And what we're talking about here is Paul talks about being in the flesh as opposed to being in the Spirit. In other words, it's a a, uh, code phrase, if you will, for man's works, man's laws. Man's human effort—it's code word for all of that. Okay, so when he says "in the flesh," so he's saying you guys had the got the spirit, and now what you're trying to do is go back to the flesh to somehow get better at this. Verse four: Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, and I don't know what the suffering part was. Clearly, at various times and various places, there has been persecution, and I just don't know what this is historically, but I'm assuming something happened once they changed and became Christians. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay, now we're going to talk in more detail about Abraham later. So I'm going to sort of glide over that other than to read it. Because he's going to go into a a fair dissertation about what he means there later on in the letter. So what he's also saying is you have people there who not only have the spirit, but they have the gifts of the spirit. They are able to work miracles. And one assumes that Paul himself, while he was there, was able to do the same thing. And what he's saying is, the stuff I did wasn't by works of the law, and furthermore, anything anybody else is doing among you by the Spirit has nothing to do with works of the law. Seven, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So again, what he's saying is that those of you who are of faith are, in a sense, sons of Abraham. And you also have, Abraham was given an understanding of this when God talked to him. Because God said to Abraham, in your seed all the nations will be blessed. And I'm in chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. All right, so now you've got two different things here. You've got the book of the law, which is the written Torah. And the written Torah says, you don't do Torah, you're cursed. So, if you rely on works of the law, what must that mean in context? That you're not doing Torah. So those who rely on works of the law are not doing Torah. And the Torah says those who don't do Torah are under a curse. But what verse 10 does is it shows you that when he's talking about the Torah and he's talking about the works of the law, he is dealing with two different things. Paul is quoting from the Torah. Yeah, he is going back to the Torah as his authority. And, and oh, by the way, i said this before, but it's worth seeing again. For those people who say Paul did away with the Torah, okay, and, and you'll find lots and lots of Sunday denominations, in fact, Jews, I was just on a Jewish website today, and they say Paul is not a Torah teacher, he's a Hellenist. And he's teaching some religion other than the religion of, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So even the Jews think Paul is off base. But what I'm saying to you is Paul over and over and over again goes back to the Torah as the basis of his authority for what he says. So here, he goes back to the Torah and says, works of the law will put you under a curse because it says in the Torah that if you do this, you're cursed. Well, you can't go back to the Torah for your source of authority And then on the other hand, do away with the Torah, because you've just done away with the basis for your entire argument. It doesn't necessarily mean damned to hell. It simply means cursed. And if you read the curses in the Torah, it is things like sickness, poverty, being conquered by other nations. Um, I mean, there are all sorts of very specific things that are described as curses in the Torah. So, being cursed does not automatically, notice how I said that, being cursed does not automatically translate into the lake of fire. Because if it was, every one of us would have real trouble. Because I don't know about you, but I've had some real curses operating in my life. And and I'm trying to unwind them, and I don't know that I've completely succeeded. And I'm working at it. You can imagine all the people who don't recognize, in fact, that they're cursed. So, for example, if you are in chronic debt and you can't pay your bills, that's a curse. It isn't just bad luck. It isn't any of that kind of stuff. It's a curse. As those things are operating in people's lives, what you need to do is go back and figure out what it is that is operating in your life that has caused this curse. And it may not be your fault personally. It may be your parents. It may be Something else. I'm not suggesting that if things are going wrong, you are the one necessarily who's doing it. The problem here, of course, is Paul is writing to Greek speakers. He's writing in Greek to Greek speakers, and the problem with Greek, it's a wonderful language for logic, philosophy, science, mathematics. That's what it's designed for. It's very good. What it is not very good at is talking about God. If you want to talk about God, you use Hebrew, because Hebrew has got a much richer vocabulary about God than does Greek. So what Paul has to do is jam these Hebrew concepts into Greek words, and then we get the Greek further blended into English. And then if you get somebody who hands it to you wrong in first, you're lost. It's very hard. But, but if, if you, as, as Dennis says, if you pick it apart and you parse the sentence diagram the sentences, what you find is Paul is not saying what most of the Sunday church thinks he's saying. At, at, oh, thank you for saying that. Uh, I'm, let me repeat that. One of the favorite verses from Peter is Paul is very hard to understand, especially if you don't know the Torah very well. That's your emendation. That's not in the text. And that's exactly the point. Most of our Sunday brethren don't know Torah. And because they don't know Torah, what has been happening to them for 2,000 years is somebody has been telling them about Paul and has been giving his own spin on what Paul is saying. And because they don't know Torah, they can't say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That isn't right. You know, a book is written from the beginning for a reason. We all write books from the beginning. Everybody writes a book from the beginning. You start reading at the beginning, unless you're a mystery fan who can't wait. But assuming that you're just reading a book, you start at the beginning. Because that's where the characters are. That's where the plot is set up. That's where everything, all the groundwork is laid. So that by the time you get to the end of the book, the late middle chapters, you understand what's going on. And our Sunday brethren don't do that. God bless him. Somebody starts him in John, which is the hardest place to start. Because, see, this is where Luther comes down. Luther, God bless him, first off, has a wrong conception of the character of God. And that gets fed to him by a guy named, well, by several philosophers, uh, most notable of which is a guy named Occam. And basically, what Occam says is God is omnipotent. And if God is omnipotent, that means that he can theoretically do anything he wants. Which means, well, up until now, he's been sort of following his word, but he doesn't have to. So this absolutely freaked Luther. Luther was terrified of going to hell. And so what Luther was looking for was how do I exist in the face of this omnipotent God that, you know, today seems to be doing all right, but he could be doing something different tomorrow. And I have, well, I guess the only thing I can do is trust and have faith that he won't. And then he goes back to Galatians and places like that and says, ah, all I need to do is have this faith and it'll be okay. So it comes from a misunderstanding of the character of God. God goes to extraordinary lengths to make us understand what his character is. That's what the whole Bible is about. He is describing his character to us. And he is saying, trust me. I don't lie. I'm trustworthy. And I love you. Now, if any of that's false, there's nothing you can do about it anyway. So you might just as well roll with it. And Luther is the spiritual father of Calvin. Because Luther and Calvin both believed that God is omnipotent, which means God can do anything he wants to do. And they both believed that there was nothing you could do either to change his mind or affect the outcome. So if God chose to save you for reasons that are completely a mystery to you, there's nothing you can do to stop it, and there's nothing you can do to cause it. There are just some people that God says, you're damned, you're going to be saved, and we have no say in the matter that's calvinism or luther's understanding and that's nonsense because if that's true you know one of the things that people will say is god's in control god's running things god's in, don't worry god's in control right you've heard that well if he's in control he's got the place in a mess he really does this place is a mess so if you believe god's in control in the way calvin luther and many evangelicals believe it, it's nonsense The whole scripture talks about human responsibility, human will. What our job is, our job is to tend the garden. And and as I said on Saturday, my, my sermon in 25 words or less is your job, tend the garden, plant good seed, pull weeds. And at the end of that, love God. And the Torah is your seed catalog. Your Torah is your seed catalog. Because that's what tells you what good seed is and bad seed is. That's what enables you to tell the difference between weeds and the seed that God gives you. And if you go through life with that attitude, tend the garden, plant good seed, pull weeds, and learn to love God, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. That's why God created you. Now, there's a whole bunch of other details. But that's the basis of all theology right there. And if it's more complicated than that, somebody's messing with you. Now, back to, well, let's, let's go on. We'll come back to faith. I'm <laughs> making good progress here. Verse 10 we just did. So let's go back to 10 and we'll take a run through the paragraph. 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Notice, do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. And that is a quote, again, from the law. It's a quote from Leviticus. The righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not... I think it's... Maybe it's Deuteronomy. Hang on, let me... Thank you. I thought thought it was Leviticus. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Anyway, verse 11. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. For the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Okay, I'm sorry, that's that's Leviticus one. Thank you, thank you. Messiah redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Messiah Yeshua, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So, First off, again, he goes back to Torah. The passage of Torah that he's quoting from Leviticus basically is saying this Torah, this law that I am giving to you is life. If you don't do it, you'll be under a curse. And oh, by the way, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, which of course looks forward to Yeshua who is hanged on a tree. So what he does is he takes for us the curse of the Torah. Because the Torah is full of curses. It's also full of life and blessings, just like anything else. So what he does is basically he takes the curse part of it for us by what he did. And furthermore, as I said last time, if you mechanically follow the Torah, what you are going to be is a well-behaved, damned person. And that's a good thing, not being damned, but being well-behaved. Because your life will go better. All th- you know, The Torah is life for anybody who does it. So what you have to do from there is get beyond that to a relationship with the one who gave it, which is what he wants. He wants you to see through this Torah to him, because he's the only one who could have given it, because there's stuff in the Torah that doesn't make any sense. Logically, there's stuff in the Torah you can't figure out. I can't figure out. Nobody can figure out. The rabbis can't figure out, and they know it. So what you have to do then is trust the one who gave it and have faith. All right, so now what is faith? And I talked last time, two times ago, about at some length. Go back to the garden. In order to get to bear fruit, which is what God wants you to do, tend the garden, plant good seeds, pull weed, love God... Well, if you plant good seeds and you're tending the garden, what you're going to do is produce fruit, right? So again, let's go back to our agricultural example. What do you need to produce fruit? First off, you need a seed. That's information, right? Second thing you need is soil. And that's the human heart. Third thing you need is water and you need timing, which is sun. Okay, you know, the sun goes in cycles in the season. So you've got to plant in the right time in order for the sun to do its part. So you need seed, soil, water, and timing. Well, timing is obvious. You know, you, you got to do it when it's ripe. You know, whatever it is that you're doing for God, you do it when it's right. And, you know, the Bible is just full of stuff where people got outside of God's timing. Moses did, remember? Moses, when he killed the Egyptian, he, he knew he was going to be Messiah. He knew what his job was. He, he was prophetically marked. His timing was just 40 years off. So he did it at did it the wrong time. Water is blessing. Any place in the scripture where you see blessing, think of water in an agricultural sense. The soil is the human heart. And your job, by the way, is to break up the soil so the soil will accept the seed. Because remember, Yeshua talks about four types of soil, four types of human heart. You've got the rocks, you've got the shallow soil, you've got the weed-choked soil, and then finally you've got the good soil. So your job is to break it up. That, that's your part. You're supposed to do that. God won't do that for you. You've got to break up the soil so that the word, when it's planted, can take root. And then the word is the seed. And what I'm suggesting to you is seed is also a metaphor for faith. Because it says in scripture that God gives everyone the measure of faith. So the the fruit that you bear, if you will, from this faith or from these seeds are the things that are the products of faith. Now, faith in another sense can also mean trust. That's a perfectly good translation of faith. It can be, I believe, seed or the word, because faith cometh by hearing. Hearing what? The word of God. It should be really simple. It should be really simple. The Bible puts all of its most important lessons in terms of really simple, basic stuff. Gardens, seeds, Watering, all that kind of stuff, something that everybody can understand. And so as you go back through the scripture, back yourself up to the garden and and see what this is saying in the context. Now, some of it, you know, like the mustard bush, you know, the the birds in the mustard bush. In some places, our theology has gotten so overgrown and Baroque that it's really hard to to find the basic, and Yeshua and Paul both spend a lot of time whacking stray mustard bushes to get back to something that is simple. And of course, the Christian church, God bless them, goes back and is cultivating birdhouses. And by the way, in Scripture, birds, undifferentiated birds are evil. So the idea that you, because in the very preceding example, you have the birds that are taking up and stealing the word of God. And then he turns around and says, oh, by the way, the mustard bush has got birds in it. Well, birds didn't suddenly become good after they were just bad. So the idea that you've got a mustard bush that's housing birds ain't right. And the problem is, the longer that you're around, the more of those mustard bushes you cultivate. So the Catholic Church, again, God bless them, has got this Baroque edifice, and I will guarantee you there's just flocks of birds living in that thing. There are still lots of people who are God-fearing, spirit-filled believers in the Catholic Church. Judaism has got the same problem. They've been at it 1,500 years longer than the Catholic Church. So their mustard bush is really, and that's what rabbinic Judaism is. But there are still people in there who genuinely love God and are genuinely trying to do what he would have them do. Because God tells you how to understand his character. He gives you a model. And that is a human child and his father. A human child grows up to trust his father unless he's got a pathological one. And there are pathological ones. But most parents aren't pathological. They're just not very good. There's a difference. And I don't know of any child that says, I trust my father. I know when he picks me up, I will not drop me. And praise God, when I'm three, I'll get a trike. You know. That's not how you understand your father. So if you're understanding God that way, you got a misconception. It should be really simple. And what's happening here in the book of Galatians is you got these guys that are coming through after Paul went through, and, he's, and they're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a, there's way more to this than you guys understand. And, oh, by the way, we're from the home office. So we've been doing this all our lives, and we understand it. Now, all this stuff Paul told you is okay, but this is the stuff that you got to do to get the rest of the way. And Paul is coming back to him and saying, guys, you didn't get it that way. You're not going to maintain it that way. That's all Galatians is. And he's going to you know, go through a bunch of logic and a bunch of stuff to make that all clear. But it's really that simple. The Torah tells you how to do it. The Torah tells you what to do and the Torah provides your seed catalog. So as you're deciding what kind of seeds to plant, go to the Torah, and it'll show you. Would somebody like to close in prayer? Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this study and would like to hear more, go to www.crimsonthread.com. There you'll find this study in its entirety, as well as other resources for studying the Scriptures from a Messianic perspective. Thank you and Shalom.